All right, happy Easter, community. How's everybody doing? You got your cinnamon roll? You ready to go? I should be probably twice as good, twice as good as normal with all that sugar in you guys. Um, I'll tell you, we don't have a lot of traditions around here at Community, but one of the traditions we do have, we kind of borrowed from the Orthodox Church, and, and it goes like this. I'm going to need your help on it. I'm going to say, Christ is risen, and then you're going to respond with, He is risen indeed, with a lot of Easter enthusiasm. Are you ready? All right. Christ is risen! All right, let's try it again, and this time, I want the kids down in Kids City to hear it, okay? Here we go. Christ is risen! He is risen indeed. Wow, excellent. Now, I want you to think about that, about that truth. What an amazing truth that Jesus came back from the dead, that he is risen. That what happened on Friday so many years ago wasn't the end of the story, but that the resurrection, life actually overcoming death, had the last say. But here's where I want to start. I want to start with this on, the, on Easter morning. The story of Jesus rising from the dead. It's a great story. I mean, what a great, 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 great story. I mean, they make movies about it. Another movie just came out about it. Great story. But my question for you is, do you believe it? Do you believe that it actually happened? Or... Do you see it more as a story that we really like? A story that's been told and kind of retold, kind of like family, you know, legends kind of get passed down from one generation to the next. It's a story we love to hear. It's an inspiring story, especially today. Tell the story. We love the story. It's an encouraging story, but I don't know if it really happened, and I'm not sure it really happened just, you know, the way Christians say it happened. I think we wonder about that because we know history has a way of kind of rewriting itself. It happens with lots of stories from the past. The truth about what actually happened, sometimes becomes blurred with fables over time. Uh, for example, there are some of us who believe that there was actually a, a Jack and Rose on the Titanic. <laughs> Sorry to burst, you know, your romantic bubble there, if you thought that was true. Um, or if we go to real, go to actual history, I mean, how about Paul Revere? All right, we have Paul Revere. And of course, the British are coming, the British are coming, and in Longfellow's poem, it's of the Midnight Ride, it says, he came to the bridge in Concord Town. And so we've all believed he got to Concord. He was the one, right? Truth is, no, he actually got arrested in Lexington. He didn't make it all the way. It was a guy named Samuel Prescott that got the handoff, and he was the one who finally got to Concord. But we believe it because truth kind of gets blurred, right, with poetries or fables or even movies along the way. How about um, Michael Jordan? How many of you have ever, uh, you know, when your kids, I mean, they have one of those, you know, they, they have a, a tough, maybe they don't make the team or something doesn't go well for them, and to kind of to cheer them up, you go, hey, you know what, Michael Jordan didn't make his varsity team. How many of you ever told your kids that? How many, yeah, sure, I have, yeah, there you go, several of us, there you go. Only one problem with it, it's not true. <laughs> it's just not true. Yeah, when he was a sophomore, he didn't make the varsity team, but he played in the sophomore team and the JV team, and he was still a superstar, right? Sometimes truth kind of gets blurred with fable. So what about this resurrection story that we're celebrating today? Did that really happen? Do we really believe it? I'll tell you what, I, I've been doing this long enough to know that even uh, lifelong followers of Jesus struggle sometimes with this belief. And some of you, I, I, if I pulled you aside, hey, do you believe it? You go, oh, I believe it, I believe it. And then I said, why? You go, mm. right, kind of shrug. Could you answer that? Why? Why you believe it? And others of us here, I think, would say, no, nah, I don't think it really happened. And it definitely didn't happen the way Christians say that it happened. 
And then there's some here would probably go like, as far as the story of the resurrection, I mean, does it really even matter? <laughs> Dave, you're kind of running on a parade here. Who cares whether it's actual or you know, figurative or literal? I mean, it's an inspiring story. Does it really matter whether it actually happened? Let me tell you something. I want to start off today by saying this. It absolutely matters. What we believe about the resurrection, I would suggest, matters more than we can even imagine. And it's not just me. The Apostle Paul makes the exact same point in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. Here's what he says. Hey, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. Strong language, isn't it? Useless. You know what useless means in the original language of the Bible, the Koine Greek? It means useless. <laughs> just thought I'd go there. It's useless, right? It's just useless. And so I kind of let this kind of swim around in my head for a little bit. And, you know, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, that means what? He's still in the grave. If Jesus is still in the grave, that means that Jesus himself had to submit to, had to give in to, succumb to the power of death. And if Jesus had to give in to, submit to, succumb to the power of death... How is he going to help any of us overcome death? And if I can't overcome, and I have no way to overcome death, the power of death, then I mean, why? I mean, why even, why, why go on? Leo Tolstoy, uh, considered probably one of the greatest writers of all times, he, he wrote this, so, so smart. He says, it's my question, a question that brought me to the verge of suicide is this. The simplest of all questions that lies in the soul of every man, a question without answer to which we cannot live. And here's the question. What will come of what I'm doing today or tomorrow? Question mark. What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything? Why do anything? It can also, the question can also be expressed this way. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death that's awaiting me does not destroy? Pretty hopeless, huh? But, but think about this for a moment. If Christ doesn't overcome death, then okay, none of us, none of us here, none of us are overcoming death, right? There is no hope. We're done for. It's end of story. It's kind of like we're playing this game. We're just kind of waiting for the clock to run out and for the buzzer to finally go off. So Paul says it right there. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. Just, just seriously, useless. Everything we're doing here. I mean, this, it's great. We're all here. It's Easter. We've kind of got the, our Easter kind of vibe going here. But you know what? If this didn't happen, it's useless. Us singing, you know what it is? It's kind of like a giant pep rally. There's not even a game. It's useless. Us, like we talked about last week, us loving and caring for one and each other. I mean, it's just kind of putting off the inevitable. It's useless. The time and money that, that Patrick talked about, the things we do locally and globally, it's really useless. Planting churches, helping people find the love of God, it's all useless. Big waste of time. Because if Christ is still in the grave, we have to accept the fact, that here it is, that God is not powerful like he claims to be. And if he's not powerful, then he can't be trusted. And if he can't be trusted, maybe the whole thing is just a sham. And here's the truth. If Christ is still in the grave and he's not raised... There is nothing after a funeral. There's nothing after a burial. There's nothing after that gravesite. I mean, you go somewhere and you eat some chicken and some potato salad, you might just go home and call it quits. It's all over, right? You're not going to see your loved ones again. There's nothing. Nothing's going to happen after the doctor says, there's nothing we can do for you. Because, in fact, 
There's nothing that anybody, not even God, can do if Christ not be raised. If Christ is not raised, then your faith is useless. Just kind of let, let that sit for a little bit, okay? All right, go ahead and take a breath. Take, let's everybody here, just take a big, deep breath. All right, turn to someone near you and say, hey, just take a breath. Turn to someone near you and say, hey, just take a breath. Take a breath. This is going to get better, I promise you. This is going to get better. All right. Here's, here's my question for you. What if, all right, what if those lungs of Jesus that had stopped breathing suddenly started breathing again? What if that heart of Jesus that had stopped beating suddenly, all of a sudden spontaneously on that Sunday started beating again? What if, okay, what if Jesus did come back from the dead? What if the resurrection story actually is true and it actually did happen? Come on, let it in, let it in. Just, let's go there just for a little bit. Because if it did, that changes everything. And here's what I want. What I want us to understand this Easter morning is that we'll take a closer look at the resurrection. I think if we'll ex- examine the historical accounts of that amazing story, what you're going to find is it is unbelievably believable. And we can be confident in this resurrection story. Let me give you some, some, just some things to take home. You ready? Here we go. Why can we believe this? We can believe it because real people witnessed it. Real people wrote about it. Real people believed it. You got a guy named Matthew who was an eyewitness, believed it, wrote a gospel about it. You got a guy named Mark who got all of his information from Peter who was an eyewitness to the resurrection. You got a guy named Luke who was a doctor who records the whole thing. You got a guy named John who was an eyewitness. He too believed it. You got four of them there. You got it? Four of them. Just to give us some perspective on this, okay, let's take like Alexander the Great prominent historical figure. There is one account of his uh, conquest, military conquest, and that account actually was recorded 400 years after he lived. Everybody buys in that that is history and that is accurate. Jesus, there's four of them that were all written within a generation of, the time, of his time on earth. Not just those four, but look what it goes, if we go on to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is a great place for you to go if you want to go later on. He says, then there was the 12 that, that saw him. And then if we continue on to the next verse, the Apostle Paul says not only that, there were 500. How many? 500 who saw him with their very own eyes. And Paul gets a little cocky about it. He even says, hey, many of them are still alive. Go and ask about them for yourself. Now, on top of all that, then there's this guy named James that also saw Jesus after he came back from the dead. Anybody know who James was? This is important. James was Jesus' brother. His brother, his very own brother, believed that he was God, that he came back from the dead. Now, I just want to take a time out for just a second here, okay? How many of you got siblings? How many of you got siblings? You got siblings? Just, I want you to work on this, okay? You know where I'm going to go with this. What would it take for me to convince you, okay, that one of your brothers or sisters was God? <laughs> Come on, huh? What's it going to take? Like a resurrection? Huh? Right? And some of you are going like, yeah, even that's iffy, right? <laughs> okay, like, okay, so I have, I have a brother and I have a sister. I have a, my brother, John, right? Okay, you know my brother, John. John teaches around here. There's John. He taught here on Good Friday. We all love John, right? We love John. We love John. Everybody loves John, right? Okay? But you, I have to, I'd say I would have a hard time 
believing that that was God. I know a lot of things about John. I mean, there's certain things that prove he's flawed. I mean, you know, like for example, right? How could that be divine, right? We, we do a weekly one-on-one, and he's usually in Chicago, and I'm here, I'm here in Naperville, and we usually do it online, like on Google Hangout or something. He was playing with the Google Effects a couple weeks ago. Here's what he's doing. I mean, this, look at this guy, right? That's my brother, right? What's it, what's it going to take for you to convince me that he's God? But James, Jesus' brother, okay, he says, no, I know it's crazy, but I believe it. And if we back up a little bit, there was a time, if we go to John chapter 3, look on the screen here, there was a time where he didn't believe it. In fact, he sarcastically made fun of him and said he didn't believe it. But now, post-resurrection, he also says, no, I believe, I believe. So you got Peter, you got Matthew, you got John, you got Paul, you got James, the brother of Jesus, you got 500 other people, eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Let that see, let this kind of sink into your brain. Are you convinced yet? All right, not enough. We've got to give you some more. Here we go. Here's the deal. That's, let, let's, let's say, okay, that's just what people said. That's just what people wrote. I want you now to take into account their very lives and how their lives were changed. Let's go back a little bit. Back in time before the first Easter. It's uh, not Sunday on Easter, but it's Saturday. Because we know on Friday, on Friday, Jesus is bloodied and beaten and, and he died on the cross. Now it's Saturday. Saturday, Jesus is in the tomb. What do we find happening prior to Easter, the resurrection? What do we find happening in Jerusalem on Saturday? Well, here's some things that we have going on. First thing you have is you got this. you got a whole bunch of scared disciples. So on Saturday, scared disciples. Every, every single one of them ran. They deserted Jesus. Peter, Peter, remember he denied him three times. They're all behind locked doors. They, they think, wow, we've been believing a lie. They saw what happened to Jesus on the cross. They're afraid it's going to happen to them. What do we have? we got scared disciples. Here's what else we have in Jerusalem. We also have a whole bunch of sad, sad women. Now, to the women's credit, they didn't do what the guys did. They didn't run. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. I mean, they were loyal. They stuck by him. But now he's gone, and they're devastated. I mean, they're, they're in mourning. They're, they're, they're in grief. And it's on Saturday, so they, they do the only thing they know to do. They prepare spices, put together a plan to go anoint Jesus' dead body that next morning. I mean, they are heartbroken. That's Saturday. You have sad women. But you also, on that Saturday, okay, before, before Easter, before Easter, you got those scared disciples, sad women, but you also have a bunch of skeptical religious leaders. I mean, they were now able to say, and they were glad to say, hey, told you so, he's dead. But they're still worried. They're, they're, they're still a little bit paranoid. They remember Jesus saying, and I'm going to arise, I'm going to rise, okay, Three days later. And so they're afraid. What they're actually afraid of is that Jesus' disciples are going to somehow steal the body and keep this legend of Jesus of Nazareth alive. And so they're worried about that. In some ways, it's kind of ridiculous because, I mean, Jesus' own followers wouldn't stick by him when he, when he was alive. Why, what makes you think they're going to stick by him now that he's dead? But nonetheless, nonetheless, these skeptical religious leaders, they do everything they can to make sure nothing goes, goes sideways on this. They put a seal on the tomb, okay? They put a seal on the tomb so, so you'd know if someone tried to get in. They posted guards by the tomb to keep watch. They do everything in their power to make sure Jesus' dead body stays in that tomb. So what do we have on Saturday? Here's what you got. You got scared disciples. You got sad women. You got skeptical religious leaders. We find exactly what you'd expect 
to find. And what we don't find, what we don't find, we don't, ex- we don't find anybody expecting a resurrection. Nobody was expecting nobody. But the next day, the next day, that first Easter, and then every day after that, we see a tremendous transformation. All of a sudden now what you have is you have bold disciples. Bold disciples. They're saying Jesus is alive. They're no longer hiding. In fact, they're standing in front of large crowds, thousands of folks. And the religious leaders are trying to clamp down. They even tell Peter and John, hey, we do not want you to speak his name. And here's what they say. Right to the religious, they say, listen, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? Talk about bold. As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. And from then on, they continue to proclaim, Jesus is risen. And the only explanation for their behavior and their change is this. The resurrection really happened. The resurrection really happened. Those sad women, that was Saturday. Then on Sunday, look what you have. You have rejoicing women. As they arrive at the tomb in their moment of sadness, suddenly that sadness turns to joy when they meet an angel who declares, He is risen. He is not here. And so the woman, it says, they hurried away from the tomb. Look at this. They hurried away from the tomb. They were afraid. That's how they were before. Yet now they are filled with, what's the word right there? Help me out. What's the word? Say it out loud. Joy. That's what they're feeling. They're feeling joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. And in the process, suddenly Jesus met them. Jesus says, greetings. And they come to Jesus, they clasp his feet, and they worship him. How do you explain their change? How do you explain the change in these ladies? There's only one conclusion. The resurrection really happened. So you got these bold disciples. you got these rejoicing women. But then you also have now, suddenly instead of skeptical, you have frustrated religious leaders. (laughs) They wanted nothing more than to prove this whole thing was a hoax. I'm telling you. If there was a body, okay, a dead body to be found that they could show, they would have found it and shown it. If there was even one person who would have recanted their statement about an eyewit- being an eyewitness of the resurrection, they would have grabbed a hold of that person, propped them up, and exploited that person so everybody could hear it. But none of that happens. They can't find anything to say or to prove that it didn't happen. How do you explain that? The only conclusion is this. The resurrection really happened. I'm telling you people this Easter morning, this thing called the resurrection, the story, it really happened. (laughs) And that's good news this Easter. Because not only did it change their life, but it has the power to change every one of our lives and our eternities. It can change the lives of those of us who walk here today that are scared. You're, you're about to face circumstances. You're facing situations you never would have dreamed. And you're here today because, I mean, inside, I mean, it is, it is, it is a frightening week that you're going to face. He can change your life. For some of us, he can change the lives of people that are sad. For some of us, it was, it was, it was, it was hard for you to even get out of bed this morning and put one foot in front of another. Because there is. There's kind of a, just a despair, even a depression. A, a deep sadness about things that maybe have been done to you or things that, that you've done. And you know what? He can change your life. And for those of us that are skeptical, we, we just can't help it. We can't help but doubt. We can't help but doubt. It's part of us that wants to believe, but we doubt over and over and over again. 
You know what? He can change your life. And I'm here to tell you, the resurrection really happened, and it can change your life. I want to share a story with you of uh, Victoria and Marco Maldonado. Uh, when I first met uh, Victoria about a year ago, um, I think Victoria would have described herself as an atheist. Um, Marco certainly would describe himself as skeptical. And I remember Victoria talking about her previous life, just kind of growing up. It was really just like, it was, it was just a living hell. But they're from right here, community. And here's how Jesus has changed their life. Hi, my name is Victoria Maldonado, and this is my husband, Marco. Together, we've been coming here to community for about two and a half years. Um, we have two new five-and-a-half-month-old twins, boy and a girl, and he, my husband also has a 10-year-old son. A really good friend of mine, Sam Kim, um, invited me to come to Yellow Box. I was kind of skeptical. I didn't know what Christian church was all about. And uh, so one day I took him on, on that offer, and I came with him to church. I was blown away by the welcome that I received. Since then, it's just, it's been an incredible journey. I had no religion in my life, but I decided I'd go with him because it was important to him and he was important to me. I kept my head down, I didn't look at anybody, I didn't say hi to anybody, simply because I was terrified and I thought people were going to judge me. I really had that feeling um, because of how I'd been treated by Christians in the past. But I decided to come with him, and this was a completely different experience from any other church experience I'd seen. And eventually, it got to the point where I needed to stop coming. I think because it was affecting me emotionally and I didn't want it to. I think he went one week without me. Two weeks. Was it two weeks? And to his credit, and this was actually a pivotal moment, he stopped going because I wasn't going. And because he did that, over the next couple of months, I began to observe and see how it affected him not going. And then one, one week I said, okay, if you want to go, I'll go with you, I'll try it again, that's fine. And it was a hard experience for her to come back again, and, uh, but this time around, she came in with an open mind. She started lifting her head, saying hello to people. As I got to know people here, I realized that these people truly walked the walk and talked the talk, or at least tried their best to do so. The biggest impediment, I think, really was myself, just not being willing to open myself up to it. And when I finally did, um, actually through the Alpha program, that was really what did it. We started hearing about Alpha, which I had no idea what it was. If you have questions, good questions, bad questions, any questions, this is the place that you can ask those questions. So I looked at her in service and I said, hey, we should sign up. Like, and nah. <laughs> She was skeptical, so I kind of left it alone. But then like two days later, I signed up clandestinely for right, both of right, us. Right before the weekend, she signed us up and yeah. when she told me, I'm like, okay. By the last day, the last session, I couldn't vocalize it myself. I looked at him, I gave him a look. He knew what the look meant. And he asked the group to pray for me about um, something we were going through, which was infertility. At that very moment is when I felt it, and I knew it. And I opened myself up, and from that point on, I just felt changed. And just allowing the Holy Spirit to, to shine inside me. It was very emotional knowing, knowing her past, knowing how she felt before, knowing how it is now. It was during reading Finding a Way Back to God. We were doing that with our small group, and something just clicked in me, and it said, you're ready. This is what you need to do. This is, this is the next step for you. I felt really good and true to myself about getting baptized at that moment. Because Marco brought me here to community, um, this is the environment that works for me. 
And this environment shows me that every, a lot of other people have struggles just like I've had. It's made her who she is. It's made her the woman, the wife, the mom, that is who she is. It's just a wonderful feeling.
Jesus came back from the dead. And what does it prove to us? It proves that he is all-powerful. It also proves that he can be absolutely trusted. It also gives to us a hope. A hope no matter what we're going through. And so every one of us, what we need to hear is we need to hear resurrection. The dying need to hear resurrection. Those with cancer need to hear resurrection. Those with Alzheimer's need to hear resurrection. At a gravesite or a funeral, we whisper to one another, resurrection. When we sing and hear, our hearts are full with what? Resurrection. When we gather in groups, we proclaim to each other, resurrection. No matter what we're going through, no matter what evil we face in this world, we know what will triumph, and that is resurrection. Because God has power. God can be trusted. And he offers us a hope no matter what it is that we're going through. I'm going to ask the community, if every one of you would just go ahead and stand to your feet. Christ is risen. For some of us, some of us in this room, we've had to endure horrible things. And it's like the stench of death mixes with our story. And we wonder if we're ever going to have healing, if we're ever going to be whole. Some of us, too, when we're honest, we know we've done horrible things. We've all done things. And those things haunt us. And the stench of death is a part of our story. And we wonder, will there ever be forgiveness? Will there ever be healing? Well, we know in a risen Savior, okay, Christ is risen. Some of us have had to deal with the death of a dream. It may have been the death of a relationship. It may be an ambition that you now know is never going to be realized. It may be crumbling finances. But there's always hope. Because of the risen Savior, we know that Christ is risen. And let me say this, some of us, we reflect back on Easter gatherings of years gone by, and what we see in our minds, we see smiling faces of people who aren't going to be here this year. Family members that we loved, friends, best friends that we miss. And I guess on this Easter, I'm here to tell you that what we have is we have an eternal hope. We have eternal hope that's not just some made-up fable. What we do is we hold on to the truth in this risen Savior. And the truth is this. Christ is risen. Let's pray together. Father God, let the truth about the resurrection, I ask that for every one of us in this room, let it permeate into our brains and in our intellects, and then let it seep down into our hearts and into our souls. And let this give us a confidence that you are all-powerful. Let us give us a reassurance that you can be trusted. And that no matter what we're going through in this life or into the next, there is hope in you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.